This is Irish Illustrated Insider, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Kevin Sinclair, and all Irish Illustrated group here today on Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Tuesday, July 26th. Welcome back, everybody. We took a one-week uh, break from a podcast, and uh, we are back in it with a lot going on as camp is about to open in about, what, about 11 or 12 12 days. We we know that there's going to be, uh, there will be visitors this weekend, about, uh, I don't know, 15 to 20 including a, a name that has been very prominent on Irish Illustrated here in the last uh, couple of weeks, Austin Novosad. Kevin, uh, the quarterback Novosad, who was verbally committed to Baylor, um, your thoughts on him and where Notre Dame is with him? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think just sort of, you know, talent-wise, he, you know, was a kind of your bona fide four-star quarterback who, um, he, you know, attended that Elite eleven did really well there and was elevated just inside the top 100 with 24 seven sports. And, you know, so he's a, a quality quarterback had his coach told me he's six, three and three quarters, 190 pounds, cognizant of effects. you got to gain weight, those types of things. Um, so good quarterback in terms of, you know, Notre Dame taking a shot at him here. Um, you know, we're talking about a kid from dripping Springs, which is in the Austin area. Um, apparently I'm uh, learning a little bit more about him. He went to middle school, Jaden great house, he is on his seven-on-seven team uh, with Braylon James. So he has personal relationships with both of those kids. And if you can imagine, he lives in the Austin area. Those are the two, like, superstar receivers in his area. And he knows them personally. So you got to imagine if his kid, he's looking at a couple of schools and Notre Dame's on that list. That's got to be an intriguing option for him, right? And I'm told it really is that way. Also, 4.0 GPA student. But, you know, at the same time, there's other things to take into consideration is both his parents are Texas and Texas A&M graduates. Texas A&M is in the mix. But, you know, you'll get up to Notre Dame. Um, most recruits, you know, in their first visit, there's some wow factor there. You know, he's a 4.0 GPA student. The academic angle will probably be appealing to him. You look at Notre Dame's offensive line. Then again, I just think those receivers in Great House and James, that's got to be really appealing to him. Tim, you've seen a little bit of Nova Sad. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, to piggyback what Kevin was finishing with there, I think when you look at the the if you're looking at rankings or you're looking at the young receivers coming into Notre Dame that would be coming with him and just prior to him, that's a lot more intriguing than you could have had eight months ago, where you wouldn't look at any of that as, as part of the as part of the attraction to coming to Notre Dame. My, I'm always concerned, and I think Priester, you've talked about this before. When you're that sandwich quarterback, if that ever comes into your mind, I mean, you know, you know, you have two years with Tyler Buckner, and then you know you have CJ Carr right behind you. That makes it. I think, so. yeah, I know, I know exactly what yeah. you're saying. It's Steve Angeli's dealing with the same thing. I right, think we have a right. question about Angeli. Angeli didn't have to deal with Carr upon commitment. No, that's very, that's very yeah. true. I, I tend to think that sometimes we in the media and fans in general think about that more than the player himself because they're, Austin, they're more confident, right? Than well, we right, you're exactly. Austin Novosad saying. You know, CJ Carr, I, I mean, I'm presume I'm starting to presume now that Carr's going to not, he's not going to be an early entry. He'll come in the next class, which is why Notre Dame is pushing um, for Nova said like they are, but yeah. I, I just don't think, you know, I mean, I, I think a guy like that saying I'm, I'm Austin Nova said, you know, I, I I'm going to get the jump on CJ Carr or, or anybody yeah. at Baylor yeah. or wherever. Well, he is. I mean, that's yeah. you know, you, that is. I'm sure. And you know, this is this is the new world. Not the new world. This is the world of recruiting properly. A quarterback is one of the three quarterbacks out of a three person class gets recruited over. Right. It, it's it's the it's the wrong yeah. word. It's not the words that you're going to use. But no. it is. It is. Well, what it, yes, and it happens everywhere. Yeah. And it's it's a situation that 
in order to, I mean, if you don't get that bridge quarterback every year, then you're really going to come up right. short. I, so you I guess have it would be to, a lot worse. Maybe it'd be worse for Nova said if Tyler Buckner was a true freshman starter coming in. Yeah. Then you know, you have, there's nothing sold to you other than three years of Tyler Buckner. Right. Yeah. You know, there are, uh, uh, there are commitments coming in. Apparently, uh, Kevin, you said uh, Jaden Greathouse is one CJ Carr uh, is another Drake Bowen. And then you have some of the younger guys. We have a flood of information on, on our website about that. So I kind of want to, I want to move forward to Jaden Asbury, who's a guy that, or Osbury rather, uh, I was just in, I was near Asbury park. This is Jaden Osbury. Um, Who's a really, I mean, that's a really good player. Um, really good player, you know, reminds me, um, kind of, frankly, a lot like Jalen Sneed in terms of just that athlete, that ability to run, not, not, you know, not huge, uh, kind of a, you know, size wise in between a safety and an outside linebacker type guy. He can play and it sounds like he's going to come to Notre Dame. Yeah, no, he's, um, you know, Osbury, he didn't make a junior season highlight reel. So I spent the absurd amount of time it took to go through a whole bunch of game films and basically make my own junior season highlight reel, just so our, our uh, subscribers could have something to kind of look at. And his speed is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Like when I watch him, his, uh, his inside blitz ability is incredible. He had 10 sacks all on inside blitzes as a sophomore. Um, and his ability to, go transition from firing downhill to changing direction and sprinting laterally, say on a screen uh, something um, along those lines is it's just outstanding, really, really outstanding speed. Um, but in terms of like the, the recruiting um, aspect of it, you know, I talked to a, a source real close to him about this time last year. And at that time I was told like his top two schools at the time, early in his recruitment were Ohio state and Notre Dame. And a big reason for that was Al Washington was recruiting him from Ohio state. Marcus Freeman was recruiting him from Notre Dame as the defensive coordinator at the time. So of course, Washington comes on to Notre Dame and then they all, they add Al golden, you know, linebackers coach in the latest super bowl, James Laurinaitis, who he's, you know, he seems almost like starstruck about when he talked to me after a couple of his visits. And he's a, one thing I, really stands out about him is he's a very very bright kid and a great student um so being bright he says you know when i talk to him james laurinaitis al golden marcus freeman i you know it's not lost on me what these guys can do in terms of develop developing me to be a professional football player and then sort of beyond that this is a kid who wants to study finance he has you know some serious aspirations that way I hear he's talking to a lot of different people who he met on his uh, official visit um, about all of that, um, about the academic side of it all. So, you know, I think Notre Dame is going to land this kid. And I think he's, I don't know, I guess I would just say he's a better fit from no- for Notre Dame than some might sort of realize he is. And for our Irish Illustrated subscribers, I mean, you're probably aware that Kevin, uh, Kevin Sinclair recently put out a, a story about tracking the start of this, the, the high school senior seasons of some of the, the Nordame commits. So we would uh, encourage you to check that out. Tim, you started the series with the, the insider preview series of talking to beat writers or those that yep. cover Nordame's opponents. And I think you've had about five, five or so, five or six of those. What has stood out about any, any of the teams that, that you've talked to the respective insiders about? You know, I think the confidence, um, 
in Brigham Young's offense. And it's, it's probably hard for subscribers to understand. I think there was a note like, you know, how does BYU do this with recruiting rankings? And obviously you get a little, some older players, veteran guys that are staying four and five years and they can be 23, 24 years old, but just the, the, I think it's the familiarity of their offense when you're bringing back a quarterback and offensive line and your skill position players that the, the, you have a starting point. I mean, I, I think, I don't think BYU sees themselves as an underdog to anybody and their schedule like if they beat Notre Their Dame, schedule's ridiculous, it's incredible. Man. You'll have Baylor, you'll have Oregon. I mean, if you get through that, they're, I know where they're going like that. that yeah. That's a top four situation. Now, I don't, I don't think they'll get through those three teams undefeated, but they do have a chance. And I mean, I think when people see that eight and a half points and they go, oh, Notre Dame should be able to beat BYU. They sh- it, that's a, that is the, that is the third hardest game if you don't include situation at all, like I, I always say USC is hard because if Notre Dame's good and Notre Dame's playing for something, and if USC is playing for something, or if they're a spoiler, that's just a hard, that's a very yeah. hard win out now, there. BYU's legit. I mean, and, yeah. and again, I try to, I try to spend the summer going through these teams and mm-hmm. really breaking it down and looking at everything I can and reading everything that I can. BYU's good, man. I mean, they're 21 and four. They've beaten, they've, they've knocked off, power five conference teams and it's going to be a challenge it'll be a unique situation uh in vegas did you get your flight yet no i've been been working on that holy cow those flights are expensive but uh yeah but i'm all set and we're looking forward uh we're looking forward to that but i better uh, ask for irish Illustrated subscribers since they all want to hear this are you flying out thursday or friday i need to know the situation here what do we me yes i'm i'm i am set to fly out on thursday you you can't you can't go to (laughs) vegas on friday with a game on saturday uh, and we should be in pretty good hands out there with with our ha- with our uh, Vegas handler our out there, right? Handler, so, right? Yeah, we should be. Uh, and he knows who he is when he hears this. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, we're all looking forward to that. I did want to, you know, we're, I'm kind of hopping around here in segment one because we have questions about all these things. And I did write down the counting down counting down the Irish outrage. You know, I'm talking about O'Malley because oh, I, yeah, I, I think a lot, I think a lot, a lot of people want 14 players in the top 10. They do. They really want Joe Alton in the top 10. Though. They want Joe, they Joe Alton really want Joe 11. I, I, I mean, I, you know, and I, and I, just for those that are familiar with those that don't subscribe, they, I don't know, or go to our website, they don't really know, but I mean, we do a counting down the series and we have four people that vote on it. And we, we, we take an average. And so all it takes is really one of us. Yeah to have a, you know, too high of a ranking or too low of a ranking in comparison to the other three. And then the number gets out of whack. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't get too shook up if I think the and, problem- and we have a quarterback, we have a quarterback thing going now, you know, yeah. it started with Jack Cohn last year. Like where are we supposed to rank Tyler Buckner with that's never started a game from now? Are we supposed to put him ahead of Lorenzo styles and cam Hart and Blake Fisher? Well, apparently we're not supposed to hit him ahead of Joe Alt because well, that did not go over well. That's that that that's I mean that I guess that's kind of fair, but again, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a it's an average and I But you know what else is fair? Joe Alt started after and he did a great job. This is the problem when you rank someone 11 and someone gets mad that they should be 6 and I have to feel like I have to point out a shortcoming to say why I didn't rank him 6. I consider Joe Alt started against 6 of the worst nine defenses Notre Dame faced and when he played a really good one at Oklahoma State that was his worst game he wasn't a bad player in that game but he didn't look the same as he did against Virginia or North Carolina he was just if he had to start his first start against Cincinnati or Wisconsin it would have been a rougher look than his first start was 
are coming in against Virginia Tech and then playing Carolina USC. It's that it is part of it. What are some Kevin? I, like off the top of my head, I guess I could look at your list, but some of the rankings that you had that maybe don't coincide with us or. I can pull ours up. Anger, yeah, a, a, anger. I don't know. Uh, management well, okay. Of- well, okay. For example, Kevin, you, you had, you had Brandon Joseph 12th. I think I had him fourth. I did have him fourth. You know, I, I think with all, all of this, like the counting on the Irish is, and some anger questions about where we have guys listed is there's a lot of really young players there that are very important, but we haven't seen them play a whole lot. And it's difficult. Like you're just saying, where do you rank Tyler Buckner? Right. Yep. Even a guy like Joe Alt, he hasn't played a full season. Or, or a guy yet. like, like Blake Fisher. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, I, I, you know, I know that we, we all think he's going to be great, but I mean, how do you rank something? I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's, it's just a summer series and it you is, can't, I yeah. want to do our annual or not annual, our weekly Monday morning, Monday musing spoiler. All right. So Blake Fisher's number seven. He is our highest ranked sophomore. This is relevant. We've been doing this since 19, including 2019. Four of the eight highest ranked sophomores ever in our countdown are this year's sophomores. Blake Fisher, Lorenzo Styles, Tyler Buckner, and Joel. The other ones were Kyle Hamilton, number one in 2020. Michael Mayer, number three in 2021. And then the, really the only guy we could have missed on, I think he got hurt, was we had Chris Tyree in the top 10 last year. Yeah. Obviously, we missed on it for his year. We had Jarrett Patterson in there as a, as a redshirt freshman, first time starting center in the top 14. So Joe Alt, Tyler Buckner, Lorenzo Styles, Blake Fisher. Clearly, we like the sophomores. But, you know, there's good juniors and seniors on teams, too. And Jason Adamiola, who has not appeared yet, and Jarrett Patterson, who have not appeared yet, are 23-year-old <laughs> men. Yeah. And they're going to be good. Well, really again, good. it kind of, it kind of just it goes back to it was just a situational thing where Notre Dame didn't have a lot of veteran players on offense on the O line yeah. or receiver, and they had some really good players in their freshman class, Blake Fisher, Joel, and Lorenzo Styles, and that's why that is. I do want to comment before we go to segment two on a, a couple more things here, real quickly. Uh, I had an opportunity to see a Notre Dame basketball team practice last Tuesday, and JJ Starling was there, and Ben Allen Lubin was there, and Don Campbell was there with the returning players and it's impossible not to be impressed by JJ Starling. I mean, he's just, he's, he, you know, in in addition to what we saw him do on the court, he's engaging off of it. He seems very comfortable, relaxed. He can do a lot of things offensively. Um, And then Van Allen Lubin is, I mean, Mike Bray came out and said, there could be two freshman starters and he would be the, the other one with JJ Starling. And I don't, I don't think that that, you know, normally at this time when we see a practice, it's like, well, we don't know how the team's going to develop, but it's such a veteran basketball team with two standouts like that in the freshman class, uh, plus, plus a, a Lashesky who, <laughs> Tim, you yeah, I mean, so he ca- by Nate Lashesky. <laughs> well, I mean, he carries he carries himself in a completely different way than so, than what we were used to. Tim, do you remember we talked about this about a month and a half ago? Um, that Tim Abramitis struck us that way when he came back. From his European right. tour for his, and by the, he's been around by the way recently in Notre yeah. Dame. And then Abramitis tore his ACL in game yeah. number four, and we never got to see what he would really be like. Is that kind of the way Lashevsky kind of strikes you? Is this is all? Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. And then you know, and then seeing the practice and hearing Mike Bray talk about he's taking more shots than anybody, and that's with Dane Goodwin still, you know, still on the team. So that I think that's a real positive. I, I know everybody. There's still going to be some defensive dis- deficiencies at time, and you don't have that true 
five man like you did with Atkinson. So how do they rebound? I think, you know, I really think that there's a legitimate chance that Matt Zona does play this year because you have to have, uh, I mean, you have to have a couple big men uh, inside the play. So he's got to get some minutes and then then you can, as, as Mike Barrow says, you can downshift, meaning you put Leshevsky at the five and you you basically have four guards. Goodwin moves to a quote power forward, which, you know, that's not an ideal position for them, but with the way that they approach it offensively, that seems uh, to work very well. We more on that in segment two. And I just, you know, Jack Brannigan was a third round draft pick, Notre Dame baseball, Mm -hmm. three others joined him. That's a great opportunity for Jack Brannigan. And within the past week, the passing of Paul Duncan, Tim, you, you covered him or you were around him. Uh, And then Jim Lynch, who was before most people's time, Mine a little bit too. I don't, I, yeah, I know he was the captain on the 66 team, right, but right. And I never had the opportunity to meet Jim Lynch. I, I'm a little surprised that somewhere along the 40 years that that, that didn't happen, but you hear nothing but great things about Jim Lynch and what a great captain he was. And Frank Pomerico said to me, I think there was only, you know, era didn't have a lot of pictures of former players on his desk, but Jim Lynch was, was one of them. And, and um, he was a stud and he got things really got things rolling for era Parsi again. And the Paul Duncan news is tragic. Obviously, uh, one of my best friends in Atlanta um, is good friends with Paul Duncan. Now their kids are, you know, family friends. And oh, wow. That's an awful, it's an awful situation. Um, great. I mean, he's, he's already run a triathlon. He was training again. Yeah. When he passed it's, he was, uh, I started covering him. Um, he, if I recall, he came back from missing 08 after having, well, everybody had a really rough 07. He had a very rough 07. Uh, he missed 08 and I covered him in, in 2009. Um, when he was a grown up, you know how you notice guys when you cover yeah, a guy, no doubt. A he, became, and, he became a go to guy for us, really, interview wise. He did, he was a really affable guy and, and a very likable, very likable person. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Denver Maximus. What are your thoughts on Notre Dame asking NBC for $75 million to remain independent? Even if NBC does not, or even if NBC does ante up, can Notre Dame remain independent and be a part of the college football playoff? When they're, when they are, if they are this good and remain this good and trending up and remaining relevant, you, Notre Dame can always be a part of it. It's when you fall into that wasteland of being a nine win team that you have no, and I don't mean you can't make it because you won nine games. Obviously you can't make it if you win nine games, but I'm saying like, if they're a coveted program, when the next deal comes out, there will be a provision made for Notre Dame. If they're not a coveted program, there might not be a provision made in 2026, 27 for Notre Dame going forward. Right. That's how I kind of view this this particular question i kind of wonder like you know it seems like there's a pretty strong will to stay independent obviously but i think that when the conversation will start about joining a conference if that time does come i think that might be later down the line when if college football turns into two super conferences i feel like that's when there will be more pressure and need to join that but when you're trimming down to if they say for example, trim down to four conferences, maybe three. Feels like there's going to be, again, so it'll be that strong will to stay independent. But 
I feel like if there's two super conferences, probably will force their hand. The yeah. TV deal stuff, you know, I'm not a thorough expert on all of that. So it's kind of tough to say, but that's my thoughts on it. Anyhow. Yeah, I was I was kind of saying that there would be two super conferences and it depends that Notre Dame has to be in a pole position really to get it to kind of finagle its way into something where it, what it comes to, I think there's always a path to the playoff for Notre Dame. It is. But what if the SEC says, all right, we have 24 teams. We are playing 11 conference games and an FCS school. Now, if the SEC says we're playing 10 conference games in an FCS school, Notre Dame could get an SEC. They can get a big 10. They can get another big 10, another SEC, and you can make your schedule out of that. But it, I, I feel like the super conferences will be mandating more games, obviously from their conference foes, just like, I mean, Tim, just think about it like the ACC does in basketball. Now it just, it, it doesn't matter because you have 14 open spots or 12 open spots, right. but you don't have those open spots in football. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see if it, if it gets to the super conference level, I mean, how do you determine a conference champion? I, you know, I mean, it's not yeah. even, it's not even realistic to do that, but NBC, I mean, NBC is looking for a, a broadcast partner in, in all this 75 million for them a year for Notre Dame is unreasonable. <laughs> I mean, it just is. Um, but can you find a, a, a broadcast partner? I, I thought it was interesting. I think it was last week that the pack, the pack 12 and the big 12, you know, which we're kind of talking about a potential of, of, of merging there, just kind of abandon those talks. So I don't know where this goes, uh, but in order for Notre Dame to remain an independent, obviously they would have to match the dollars that, that the, the super conferences are talking about uh, in terms of television packages. And, and right now, what's the number with NBC? Is it 22? I'd heard 15, but I think it was at 22 per year, uh, but we'll see what happens with that. Question from IC Gold. Who are this year's picks for the Javon McKinley slash Asmar Bilal breakout senior seasons? If Houston Griffith turns out to be the correct answer, I'll pay the bar tab for the podcast crew at the playoff game. Well, I tell you, that's, that's a great, that's a well-worded response too, because it, it probably would be a playoff game. Um, I will tell you that Houston Griffith is not the answer you will hear today. I don't know he will not be the answer because we didn't expect Asmar Bilal to be the answer either but he will not be the guy that we offer as the breakout player. So you got to go a not great player. That's a senior or junior, right? Or senior or fifth year player. Um, yeah. Uh, the criteria is difficult to meet on a yearly basis. It is. We cover them very closely, but I'm going to go with Tariq Bracey because we like him a lot and he could be a breakout player, could, not a decent player. He could be a breakout player. Right. And I would, well, Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, for those breakout players, like I was thinking, you know, Zeke Coral, you know, he's a really good chance there. Um, you know, heading into his senior year, I, I heard over the weekend he's like up to around 308 pounds. Um, you know, if they do make that move where he, you know, gets plays at center, I know that, you know, I could see him, you know, having some rough spots early goings, but I think he's the kind of guy where if you stick him in there at center and plug away at him all year long, he's going to improve as they build cohesion going into his senior year. And then another guy, um, Maris Liufau, you know, I think, you know, obviously he missed his whole year last season, but going into his senior year, I would look back at his game against North Carolina in 2020, the way he flew around the field and, you know, got after the quarterback and the way he affects the passing game through both blitzing and his coverage ability. Those are the two guys I think of. Yeah. I, 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 Corral's an interesting pick and, and Kevin, you, we, we saw a picture of the, the group of the offensive linemen and, 
you know, if he can hold that weight, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. Corral is a, is a, is bigger than he was three Oh eight. I think is what the, the number you said it was. So I think that's an excellent choice. You know, Clarence Lewis has more playing experience than anybody in that secondary. Yeah. Um, and I, and I'm not, I'm not predicting that he's going to be a, a you know, a game by game, snap by snap, consistent cornerback, but he would be a candidate. And before I would pick Houston Griffith, I would pick DJ Brown, but again, the criteria doesn't really match it because he he's played quite a bit, yeah, but we'll I, I would be that comparison later on in this podcast. There's yeah. A okay. I, yeah. I would, I would think somebody like a DJ Brown, you know, breakout, I, I could see him taking his game uh, to the next level before I would, would name the other safety in that scenario. Next from wash ND. It's that time of year for summer Intel. Are there any behind the scenes updates on how players look or are progressing before fall camp starts? Kevin, I know you got some, um, and we've been we've been talking about Tobias Merriweather all summer, right? So yeah, that's yes. that's that's a gimme. Uh, but but two guys that I want to mention, Kevin Benjamin Morrison. I know you got some intel that that he had impressed, and then to to hear that Eli Raritan was cleared physically completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I, I just think that that speaks to we we know he's a unique athlete by the way he plays the game but to recover like that from a torn ACL i think that speaks to, once again to what a unique athlete he is yeah i mean he's got some people in his family where like you know his father is involved in you know medical a, a, a part of medical sales or medical you know industry that deals yep. with recovering from injuries essentially and then he's got you know his uncle who used to be strength coach and those sorts of things so he had the right people around him but who you know put that aside a guy to tear his acl in january and he's full go here you know i think cleared in late june or early july that's remarkable but as far as you know, a little murmurs you hear. I think one guy that we haven't probably haven't talked about much is, you know, Jacob Lacey. He's never yeah. been uh, ever throughout his college career to date fully healthy through a season. He had the shoulder injury early on that it sounded like he wished he'd had surgery on before he'd even started playing at Notre Dame. So he's toughing out of multiple injuries. I heard he's, you know, 100% healthy, quicker, stronger. He's in like 285 to 290 range. I saw he won. I believe it's called their workout warrior award or whatever it was recently. So I heard some good things about him. And then, yeah, you mentioned Merriweather. Like one specific thing I heard from uh, two different people off the top of my head, may have been more is his speed. Like he's uh, I I heard from basically the the parent of a current player who said Tobias Merriweather is like more prepared than he expected. But one thing that really stands out is man, is he fast? Like he's much, his speed is much more um, notable than we kind of expected. And then um, again, we had to just sort of dimension it there, but yeah, you know, Zeke Coral just heard that, you know, absolutely loves he stand. I think he's taking in, it sounded like he's like taking in that coaching and, and, and loving that a lot more than he had previously. Um, and again, up to 308, the weight thing's been a big thing for him. Right. And, you know, keeping it on, as I think Tim, you mentioned to me yesterday when I told you about that was, that's a whole other thing, right? So we'll see how that goes, but he looks good. So Coral, Lacey, Merriweather, and yeah, you know, Morrison, Benjamin Morrison did come up as a guy who, um, you know, a pleasant surprise off the hop when he first got there, started moving around. So there's some guys. Tim, I'm interested uh, to see how much Kevin had said, you know, the offensive linemen are really speaking positively about Harry Heastan. Talk to me at the end of August when, 
when, <laughs> yeah. when you've gone through camp. Uh, yeah, he's probably a little kinder in spring, huh? When yeah, he had I would some, imagine. You know, even summer, even in summer, I would think. <laughs> That's true. It changes a little. As we said before, they don't all love Heastan. Just the really good ones that go to the NFL appreciate what he did for them. Their, the rest aren't so high on how that goes, the teaching. But I, hey, I would, I would we imagine. Like, we like the good ones anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine, however, that he has ma- tried to make adjustments in his overall coaching style, I, I, you know, day, so by, day by day by day. Um, but, you know, he's old school. So, um, Harry Heastan will be Harry Heastan uh, forever. Irish from A2. Will J.J. Starling have a better freshman season than Chris Thomas did? Thomas averaged 16 points, 8 assists, and 3 boards as a true freshman. Uh, for people remembering Chris Thomas, if you recall, Chris Thomas, the freshman and sophomore pre-knee injuries and stuff, was quite a player. He was, and I, and I, don't, I don't anticipate Starling necessarily matching those numbers of 16-8. And three, yep. because he's on a he's on a very veteran basketball team. But Mike Bray actually was talking about, you know, freshmen starting this year and bringing bring Wurtz and, and Marcus Hammond uh, off the bench, which I think is, you know, and they, they, once the once the first substitutions are made, then it's who's playing the best. Yeah, we'll get the mo- we'll get the most time. And then you mix in, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of time to 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 take a blow. But um uh, you know, I don't. So I was looking back because I forgot who I, I always think of Thomas's uh, sophomore year because that's when they went to the Sweet 16. But remember, his junior year included Ryan Humphrey, uh, Matt Carroll, and David Graves. And Matt Carroll was not the first team All Big East guy until his next year, until his senior year, Thomas's sophomore year. But Thomas was one of four guys that averaged over 14 points um, Ryan Humphrey, Chris Thomas, Graves, and Carroll. And he had as always not a huge bench, but about the same thing. When you figure like Swanigan and Torian Jones would get in Jordan Cornette, but it's a similar situation for Starling, but we did not mention when we went through kind of listing their players, how good Cormac Ryan was in his last three games of the season. Like Cormac Ryan was the story of the NCAA tournament for two games, how he played against um, Rutgers and how he played against Alabama. Like he was an unconscious player. Had they beaten Texas tech, there'd have been national stories written about him going <laughs> to the Sweet 16. Yeah. You know what Starling is. I mean, he's not as Blake Wesley, such a spectacular athlete. He's not as spectacular and as explosive as that, but he's in the neighborhood. Okay. So and Tim, it, remember we saw Wesley run at that open practice after other guys were running. Yeah. He just took the whole yeah, court he, four he, steps. <laughs> we can't, he looks different than everybody else, but Starling is, I mean, he runs the floor extremely well. He can, he can get in the lane. He can finish with either hand. He has really good vision. I think he's, you know, not that Wesley didn't distribute the basketball. He did, but I yeah. think that Starling's got a little bit more of an eye out for it. And he can, and to me, the biggest difference is that he can finish around the basket under control whereas Wesley is now working out with the Spurs and still trying to learn how to do that. Exactly. I'm not trying to diminish anything with Blake Wesley, right. But JJ right. Starling. I mean, his basketball IQ is very high and I'm, I am, I'm reading all this into one practice and all the film that I saw of him coming, you know, into Notre Dame, but also talking to Bray and, and knowing that this is, I mean, this is really a very special player. It is, it's really hard to imagine Notre Dame has brought in a Blake Wesley and a JJ Starling in basketball in back-to-back years. I, I think Starling is going to be 
a great player at Notre Dame, whether he will exceed those numbers as he walks into a veteran basketball team as a freshman. Right. You know, probably not. Question from Elk Hunting. Do you see Xavier Watts's role? I'm sorry. How do you see Xavier Watts's role in 2022? Is he a compliment to Brandon Joseph? Could he break through in nickel and dime packages? That kid made more plays and limited action than Houston Griffith and DJ Brown did combined in four years. I got to jump in first because he made more plays limited action than Houston Griffith did in four years. He did not make more plays than DJ Brown did. I totally, I totally agree with you. you. Everyone has forgotten what DJ Brown did well, because he had a particularly ugly looking mistakes against Oklahoma state where he didn't look like a great athlete. He played extremely well after Kyle Hamilton was injured. He did. And he did not look like a great athlete. He looked like he was not a good athlete against Oklahoma state, but that was, that's more of a one-off for DJ Brown. I'm not saying DJ Brown's Brandon Joseph point, you know, 2.0, but I just don't want to group those two together. So I don't, the Xavier Watts path is certainly ahead of like, if he's going to have a path to the field, he could make more plays than Houston Griffith. He has to make sure he makes a lot of plays in camp because the place Houston Griffith didn't make. Sometimes we don't remember that he was there. So nobody else made a play. Watts has to avoid misplays of which he had one in the Oklahoma state game as well. And that's why he came right off the field. Yeah. Griff. I mean, Griffith, I think he knows where to be and is generally where he should be. Then you have to to make plays. Yeah. He now, and O'Leary, O'Leary was not making excuses. He said, look, if you don't hear his name a lot, that's good. However, he needs to make way more play. Like he was totally now it's, he needs to make more plays. He didn't (laughs) make any. All right. Here's a breakdown. Ready? I do drive MVPs. <laughs> which is I just pick the best one, two or three defensive players and offensive players of every single drive on Notre Dame's team, though, every drive all year, other than garbage time. So if, if it's the end of the game, I, I kind of don't do it or I do it for a separate category. So you can see like freshmen, DJ Brown had eight and Houston Griffith had one third down wins where you're, you're the player that got the team off the field. DJ Brown had six Houston Griffith had none. They I think are DJ, not comparable players. No, they are not. They I think DJ Brown, at least in the minds of the fans, is going to be a surprise productive player for Notre yeah. Dame this year. Kevin, your thoughts on Watts and uh, everything that O'Malley and I have been kicking around here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I looked at the question, just sort of mulling it over, it's really a difficult question, right? Because you have Brandon Joseph, who's you know <laughs> projected to be the star safety, and he's a veteran guy and proven. And then in the other role, you've got four guys there. DJ Brown, Houston Griffith, Ramon Henderson, Xavier Watts. So there's going to be a big battle there. Right? And there's, we're going to have to see who kind of rises up in fall camp and who plays well there. But there is no doubt about it. There's a few times where Xavier Watts came in there in the game and he had that, you know, quick instincts, firing at the football, aggressive, um, physical, great open field tackler, kind of provided a spark. I think we'd all love to see more of that. He's an exciting yeah, yeah. football player when he sort of gets in that rhythm, right? He's violent. And the other safeties are not vi- well. I shouldn't say it about Brandon Joseph. He's violent, and DJ Brown is not violent. And Houston right? Griffin no, I would agree. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, unfair. In in fairness to uh, mm-hmm. to Al Cunning's question, I, I would agree with it from that standpoint. But yeah. DJ Brown is, I think, somebody that they're they're counting on. Hey, and and we all love Xavier Watts. I mean, we all yes. we all love what his potential is, but recognize that that he's still in the transition stage from offense to defense. But to, to Kevin's point, we all like Ramon Henderson. Like, yeah, we like him too. Yeah. I, he's I mean, a good free safety too. He's got the speed, right? Yeah. So in the range, um, I think one thing I'll just bring this up as a quick side note. I happen to know that like Kyle Hamilton, when it came to which safety he liked playing with, I, I'd heard 
uh, more than once. Was, yeah, that was DJ Brown. And that right. fact that it was right. a simple right. fact of he's always where he's supposed to be. Very assignment correct. He doesn't seem to have like that kind of aggression we see from Xavier Watts. And I don't know if he's sort of taking risks when he's being aggressive, but you got to find those guys who are assignment correct, but are also aggressive. You got to find that balance, right? And uh, we'll see what Henderson offers in that regard and what Watts does and see who gets on the field more. Yeah. We'll and Tim, yeah, Tim, uh, we, we were both there when Henderson gave DJ Brown credit for, you know, yeah, his pick. I, Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I got my interception because DJ Brown told me pre-snap to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a nice thing to have on your team, right? <laughs> Somebody says, Hey, run over here and get an interception. Yeah. It works out great for you. Yeah. You know, and I realize that the, like when you look at the, you look at Henderson and, and even Watts to the measurables are a little bit more impressive, I guess, than they are with, with DJ. I don't want to overplay DJ no, Brown. I, he still has, he still has a lot to prove, but yes. I think I think he's pretty well positioned. Uh, question from I wish I was tailgating. If Tyler Buckner is the 10th best player on the team, this goes back to our comment down the Irish. <laughs> if Tyler Buckner is the 10th best player on the team, but only the seventh best quarterback on the 2022 schedule, which goes to the first rate series. Right. Uh, what does that say about the talent level on the team and the quality of the quarterbacks Notre Dame will be facing this season? I'm writing about the quality of the quarterbacks and wide receivers in my Monday column. Um, the quarterbacks are quite good because when you have Jaron Hall, fourth that is a heck of a number four but tim you did not rate clemson's quarterback ahead of tyler buckner you rated clemson's quarterbacks ahead of tyler. well i that's kind of what because when uh, you have I Kate did. klubnik in there a five-star and i want to you know i mean i this hey, perception hey. this perception that uyanga lele is going to just collapse now is right. is mm -hmm. crazy i don't know if you saw the video of of Dabble Sweeney talking about that. But I, I mean, I just want to remind everyone, you know how many games that Uyangalele had had started going into last year? He'd started two games yep. out of necessity because of Lawrence's illness. He, Apparently he's dropped a bunch of weight too. He's more mobile. Yeah, he's in great if if we expect him to come into Notre Dame Stadium and lay an egg, hell, he didn't do that two years ago. Why would no. he? I know he struggled last year, and Sweeney himself said. He struggled. He had a really, really tough year. He was unrecognizable got, from the guy we saw in South. Bend. There's no doubt, but their offensive line was in a shambles and they were playing freshman receivers. And so, you know, you I, rated two five-star quarterbacks at Clemson ahead of Tyler Buckner, Steve Angeli, and Drew Prime. You didn't rate one guy ahead of Tyler Buckner. There's two well, five-stars. That's true. But I, I, but I would have rated if it was just the starting okay. quarterbacks, okay. I, yep. I would have rated Buckner behind Uyangalele because as much as he struggled last year, that's not going to happen this year. And, and this, I think there's a perception that uh, Clemson, okay. The Clemson lost three games last year and Notre Dame beat them two years ago. Well, this will be a win. <laughs> if, if you don't think that Clemson is oh, going yeah, I mean, to respond a... this year, big time. I, I think, I think you're fooling yourself. Those two defensive I, I, I lines like... in that game. Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, I was going to say, I, feel like I have to add this. Let's just say, DJ Clemson, let's just say he's not playing for whatever reason. He's injured or he's having a bad time. That Cade Klubnik is no joke. Yeah. You know, as our resident, like, recruiting film guy, uh, I've watched a whole lot, like, almost every single one of Austin Westlake's games from last year when I was evaluating Jaden Greathouse. That kid is accurate. He can extend plays. My, my man, he is an accurate, accurate quarterback. He's a playmaker. He's won three state championships, three state championships, Texas 6A football. He was the number one quarterback in the class for a reason. So, you know, he's a good quarterback too. 
And I think Buckner, you know, 2,500 yards, 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I think he's going to throw interceptions. Yeah, the rushing touchdowns like are key first, Tyler Buckner. And the rushing right, touchdowns it, are absolutely huge. Uh, and there's Buckner. no doubt about that. Uh, but, you know, he's. I don't think he's gonna, going to throw for 3,000 yards because he's learning. He's got a young receiving core. He's going to run for <clears throat> 600 or so, uh, yeah. you know, and score eight touchdowns. And but he, Or more. I think he could go over 10 yeah, touchdowns. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. more. But he's going to get picked. I mean, he is going to get picked. He just <laughs> has not seen enough live bullets in, in college competition um, to avoid that. And so I, I don't know, you know, where, where should we, if we place him fifth, then he's ahead of, um, <laughs> Maris Leofile, Brandon Joseph, Blake Fisher. I, right. Right. It's, it's just not, there's way too much. We don't know. Period. There's right. And it's not a perfect system. This counting down, we're just doing it for, for entertainment value through the, the <laughs> summer. And we realize it's incredibly subjective. Uh, and so the difference between the number five, five player, and the 12 player can be very, minuscule. I will go back and find our top 10 <laughs> when this one's over, I'll find our four years of top tens and other than injuries, see who we missed. Oh, great. Well, you find it. Don't reveal mine. Thank you. <laughs> no, I meant the original, the official. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> uh, next from Welch, Brian, 11, 12. Are there concerns over any decommits Kevin? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, anyone who is in our message, we're talking recruiting regularly, knows that, you know, the guy to, there's the most concern about there is Peyton Bowen, of course, you know, and, you know, he's visited Oklahoma a few times. His quarterback teammate is a QB commit there. And he's a kid from Austin, uh, they're from, sorry, from Texas who uh, knows a lot of football players. And he, so that quarterback teammate isn't the only kid connected to Oklahoma that he knows, but, you know, he had an official visit at Notre Dame. And one big point, I think, in all of this is, Coaching staff at Oklahoma, especially, you know, new coaching staff, their relationship with Peyton Bowen compared to Notre Dame's is completely different. Notre Dame, um, you know, like early sort of building a good relationship with him, you know, long, long time ago, well over a year ago. And that's what he talks about. It's how close he is with all of those coaches. And I wouldn't discount that. Um, on top of that, it's, you know, his, his mom's family, pro Notre Dame, um, and then you'll think about if you were a member of that class, especially that defensive class, I mean, man, it's, it's one of the best classes in the country. Uh, you know, you look at that, that defense, you got top 100 talent at every level, D line linebacker. Uh, and then back there, defensive back, he's been committed a long time, really close relationship with Marcus Freeman, Chris O'Leary, Chad Bowden. Um, I think they have a good chance of hanging on to him. I'm not, it's, I think there's a little, too much concern there. I hope that doesn't turn around to bite me in saying that, but I think that's the one guy there's quite a, some concern about there and validly, you know, he's visiting Texas A&M and Oklahoma. I think Notre Dame will ride through that though. And then I think, you know, there's a little bit of talk about Keon Keeley, but you know, he really seemed to be walled off from talking to like not only the media, but talking to coaches from other schools. I know that um, Ohio state was trying to get in touch with them to, get him to take an official visit in June and just weren't able to do that. I don't think, I don't know if they were even able to really get in, in touch with him. So um, I know there's very, very pro Notre Dame um, feeling around like his coaches at his high school and people around him that not just the football program, the school, like he needs to go to Notre Dame. So I think they're safe, uh, safe there. So we'll see what happens. These things twist and turn. We'll see if Peyton Bowen visits Oklahoma on June 29th. I know he's invited. He hasn't said he's going. We'll see what happens. 
just to clarify, July 29th, I think you were referring to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Okay. Living let me tie path, in. Yeah. yeah, let me tie in a question from Play Like Champ 7, and that was, who would be the 2023 recruit Notre Dame absolutely cannot lose? That would be Keon Keeley. Yeah, that's Agreed. who I penciled down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, okay. you look at that and, and not just, you know, first starter, put aside how talented he is. Um, look at what they've added that added to that position. 2020, it was Jordan Batello. He's not playing on the edge. He's playing linebacker now. 2021, it was uh, Devin Alpu and um, Will Schweitzer. One's off at UCLA. Yeah, the other's also playing linebacker. So in this last class, it's nice to get Josh Burnham over there. We don't know if he's even going to stay there long term. There's Aiden Gobira. He needs to gain some weight. So Keon Keeley, he could come in, and it would be right when Isaiah Foskey and Justin Ademalola leave. That guy could have a shot at the starting job, right? Yep. At the very least, a heavy rotational yeah. gig, right? Got to line that kid. And very quickly on defensive end, edge rushers versus safeties. As much as Notre Dame needs safeties, and Kevin, you and I have both written about it and talked about it, and mm-hmm. we'd love to upgrade the safety recruiting at Notre Dame. We just talked about DJ Brown, Houston Griffith, Ramon Henderson, Xavier Watson, the playoffs. Right. That's because right. Notre Dame's defensive line is Notre Dame's defensive right. line. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Question from Rafman 68. Little has been mentioned about the special teams kicking. What are what are your realistic expectations? We need to revisit this in mid-August, right, Tim? Because everything we ever thought about Notre Dame's kicking in 2019 changed by the time we went to Culver and came back to Culver five days later. Like we thought, like we do now, this is a problem. Bramblet didn't look good. Dorer did not look good. And all of a sudden, everything was fine. <laughs> but that's actually, you're jogging my memory. I hadn't thought about that. I, you know, I think, um, Bramble looked terrible in that. Yeah, he did, thing. yeah, he did not like, I mean, he never, he never had a huge leg. It, it, it got stronger as he went along, but, uh, you know, and I will say this, I think I just did the, the first rate special teams, which encompasses a lot of, a lot of things. You might, you could conceivably break that down into two categories, but it's, it is this, that, that Blake groupie was 64 for 86 at Arkansas state from from beyond 40 yards, he converted 60.7% of his field goals. From under 40 yards, he converted 81% of his field goals. So there's a limit on range. He's kicked a 50-yarder. Uh, there's a limit on range. And I think once you get beyond 40 yards, which isn't, you know, I mean, you don't like to say, you'd like to say once you get beyond 50 yards or 45, but I think with grouping, once you get beyond 40, um, you've got some issues. So expect expect a pretty good kicker under 40 uh, uh actually you know i mean you could even say a very good kicker under 40 but um not so much from distance that's very definitely clear. a concern you know you hear about it it's, it's a concern among the coaching staff i'm interested to see punter you know they brought in john Sopp from harvard and um you know he's a veteran guy and so interested to see how the punting situation comes along but when it comes to wins and losses it's the place kicking that's the concern. Obviously, we'll all be keeping a close eye on that in August. No, we get accused sometimes of worrying too much about positions like wide receiver and, and running back depth and that. When we tried to ask Marcus Freeman what his concern was and Tim Priester said, you can't say kicker, he pulled rank and he goes, oh, I'm going to say kicker. <laughs> so that is uh, that is a chief concern for Notre Dame. And Tim, I think it's fair to say with Blake Groupie, if he's three for three, leaving Columbus from 42, 40, and 39, He's going to be just fine if he's one for three leaving Columbus and they lose yeah. by seven. You, six, aren't, you, aren't, just fine. 
you aren't kicking it uh, for Arkansas State anymore. When you're, <laughs> no. what, did, you, what did Lou Holtz say? That. Lou Holtz say about Colorado? That ain't no Kansas State. Well, this ain't no Arkansas State yeah. in game one. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, guys, because uh, I had intended to pair some of these questions back, and I we didn't do that. Question from T Mart, the golfer. Does the late push for Austin Nova said harm CJ Carr's chances of pushing up to the 2023 class? Why is everyone not remembering Steve Angeli? Is he being overlooked? Was he overhyped as a four star? Kevin, why don't you take this one? What, yeah, what I kind of heard like <clears throat> last month, so June, the weather CJ Carr was going to reclassify. It sounded more optimistic at that time than it is now. So back then, it sounded like there was a lot of communication about, okay, how does this happen? How, how, what does he need in terms of credits? There's a lot of conversation there going on where it seemed like they were gearing towards doing that. Now, like more recently, I'm hearing that it's less likely. Um, doesn't seem like there's a yes or no on that. So in the meantime, if you're Notre Dame, you just have to keep recruiting quarterbacks, of course, yeah. right? So I don't think you necessarily say, okay, they're recruiting Nova says definitely not happening, but you know, that they have to move forward as though it's not happening because you can't get left at the altar, of course, right? So um, I wouldn't take it as a yes or no just on that uh, situation alone. Now, as for Angeli, I mean, I think it's just too early to say, right? Kid yeah. just got there. Look good in this, look better in the spring game than we expected. Um, is he going to be the next Joe Burrow, who was like ranked around the same as high school recruit? Uh, who knows? Uh, you know, not very many do have that kind of success. Um, but you know, again, he looked better than we expected. What do you guys figure? I mean, four star th- is different at three hundred sixty-five for Steve Angeli. He's not overhyped. He's properly rated there. That's. Mm-hmm. I don't think Steve Angeli was ever overhyped by anyone at our website. I just thought they think he's a, we all think he's a, could be a quality player for Notre Dame. Right. That's yeah, not, I, I would think he, I would say that I think he's, you know, forget the three, four star. I yeah. mean, you know, I, he, he's a mid range quarterback right. coming in. And I thought, I thought he looked pretty damn good in the spring. I mean, I liked now, him more now, in the spring than he did on film. I would, I would right. I and agree. And I would have, and I would have said that before the blue goal game when he, you know, when he led the, the, the game winning score, I, he's got good size. Uh, I think he's accurate from what we've seen. He throws a good looking ball. I don't know that he overwhelms with physical traits. Um, yep. but I think that he is a little underrated. And as we, I think we mentioned in the first segment, when you get caught between the higher height quarterbacks um you're going to have that next from not j to fell one where would you say jack swarbrick sits in the power rankings of the most powerful people in college football um well is anybody more powerful than greg sankey at yeah in the sec i i I don't think so i don't you know i don't know how to i don't know how to rank jack swarbrick but i know that jack swarbrick his national profile among the, uh, not among Nordic fans, but his national profile among the average fan out there. I think during the pandemic year really went up when you started hearing about some of the things that, that, that we talked about, about how he helped contribute to keeping the season alive before, um, you know, the ACC pulled the plug on that. Um, I saw, I was telling you guys, I, I, I saw a story from 2019 and it listed the most powerful, people in college football and Paul Feinbaum was on the top 20 list, but Jack Swarbrick was not. So that is, <laughs> I mean, our definition of power is, 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 um, is a little bit different from one personality or one role to the next. I mean, he is compared to them. They, you know how coveted Jack Swarbrick's opinion is on things right now for what Notre Dame will be doing in the future. 
Yeah. That, he's, his, it's a meteoric rise. And hey, you know what? It might not be that way in three years. You might say well, he has no power left or something along those lines. But right now, he, he is more powerful, more powerful than Paul Feinbaum. How's that? I'm going to go on a limb. Yeah, just by a little bit. He was back then, too. Yeah, he was back then. Question from JRIX68. Which player from the Counting Down the Irish Series who didn't finish in the top 10? Who has the best chance to un- end up there by the end of the season? We've kind of walked on. <laughs> well, on clearly this. it's Joe Alt. I mean, it's, for crying out loud, it's he's it's going to be lucky if Michael Mayer yeah. can hold him off here at this point from what I've read. <laughs> so, uh, but no, really, Joe Alt at 11 and Riley Mills at 12 and Justin Adamiola at 13 are the first ones that come to mind. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, Chris Tyree at 15 certainly has the That's, potential. Yeah, yeah I penciled to, him to well, down. As, yeah, yeah. I penciled down Tyree myself because he's going to have a huge role, right? And, and that was pre, those rankings were pre Darian Price and not pre Logan Diggs, but we might on May 1st not have been totally informed that Logan Diggs would miss three to four to five games. Yeah. We're, we're just thinking, ah, that's too bad he got hurt. You know, well, how about, I mean, you mentioned him earlier, Tim, Tariq Bracey at number 20. That yeah. if he lives up to the billing that we heard Chris O'Leary give him, he's in line for a really, really good season. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, push this a little bit faster here, Tim, if I could now go ahead, finish up. And then I'm going to throw in the last question. No, no I was just going to, uh, at our own expense, we're, we are sometimes accused of the only people that overrate Justin Adamiola. He actually finished higher in our postseason countdown at 11 last year than he did in our preseason countdown. And you and I are the number one and number two, Justin Adamiola backers. So, uh, there's, there's one guy that could go back in. There you are. Final question from Murphy three, two, four, how much of Marcus Freeman's recruiting success is effort and marketing skill. And how much is a relaxed profile on traits and academics? It's a very good question. I mean, effort is massively involved in this. Marketing skill is involved. Um, Likeability, the it factor that's hard to define. Coolness, Notre Dame being good, they're all part of it. But effort and um, effort at marketing is higher than a cooling down, I think, of focusing on traits and academics. I think they fo- ac- adequate or properly focus on academics, maybe less on traits. I'm just, I'm guessing that I want Kevin to answer that on the traits. Yeah, part. Kevin, I, that's why I want to ask you, Kevin. I mean, do you see a, a, a diminished emphasis on traits and academics? I, I don't uh, at all. And I just sort of piggyback what sort of Tim said there. I don't think I'd have really much more to add. Well, um, I mean, I just, it, it's, it's all encompassing Yeah, with yeah. Marcus Freeman. I don't, you know, let's give I mean, credit I think I, efforts one, right? I mean, efforts one. Well, no doubt. And it's, it's a great question. And it, and it, I, I think it brings to light the fact that he's good at a lot of these things. And I don't think that they're diminishing traits. I, I you know, I, I, maybe in the initial contact with a, with a prospect, they don't really put, they don't take, you know, traits into consideration as much until you, start recruiting them and deciding whether, okay, does this guy fit for us or not, or, or not. But I, I, yeah, I, I think that that narrative is sort of built on like, well, Notre Dame is starting to add these players. They didn't typically get before guys who, you know, to end up at SEC schools or bigger big box schools. And that's not that Notre Dame is reaching into guys who don't fit Notre Dame. No, they're expanding, you know, their reach into players who, um, you know, top end players who otherwise, and during the Kelly era wouldn't have sort of realized their fits for Notre Dame and sort of opening their eyes to that uh, again. So a big distinction there from that to, you know, recruiting kids who don't necessarily fit Notre Dame just because they're talented. I don't believe that that's going on. I think they're expanding their reach 
to kids who do. That's it today for Irish Illustrated Insider from Tim, for uh, Tim Priester, uh, Tim O'Malley, and Kevin Sinclair. Thanks for joining us on Irish Illustrated Insider. Back next week on Monday. <laughs>